This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, January 20th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family, we have breaking news. Michael Dell's having a clearance sale. Damn. Whether it's the button-down shirts, accent pillow, my body pillows... Duvet covers and much, much more, like the Air Lindell My Slippers, My Pillow Classics. You enter promo code Steak here, you're getting big, big savings. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. Enter promo code Steak here, you're getting 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash Steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash Steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1 800 658 8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, trying to get it done in one take this week, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome, Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 206. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hey, guys. Guys, we've got a great show lined up. Guests coming in and out. We're going to be sitting down with Devin Nunez. We're going to be sitting down with the Raw Egg Nationalists. We're going to talk to the Bull Moose Project. But first, let's take it up to Capitol Hill. Joining us first on the show today is a newly elected congressman who's representing Florida's 7th District. Joining us first time since he's been sworn in, Mr. Corey Mills. Thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? I, uh, we've talked a little bit offline over the course of the last few days. You've been pretty busy down there. Yeah, I mean, as we know, Congress is broken. The entire institution and how we've been running things has not been directed towards the America First agenda. It's not been directed towards constitutionality or limited government overreach or physical conservatism. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot to correct. And, you know, if the Congress didn't break itself in two years, it's not going to necessarily fix itself in two years. But there's a lot of things that we're doing to make huge steps uh, to get us back to that accountability, that transparency, uh, and that accessibility of elected officials as it should have been. 
No, you, you make some excellent points there, which is why I want to start off. How was the whole experience? We don't have to get into names and specifics. We all know uh, and watch it unfold on TV. But going through the motions of the Speaker of the House vote to get Kevin McCarthy elected as Speaker eventually, was that some of the growing pains in regards to writing the ship that is Congress that we kind of needed to go through? And are we better off now on the other side of the vote with some of the concessions and new rules we're going to have for the 118th Congress? Well, yeah, absolutely. And just to correct things, you know, we were actually having these discussions well before the actual first vote. These are things that was taken up in GOP conference. These are areas where we all uh, who were concerned and wanted certain agreements or concessions or reimplementations of pre- uh, previous rules and procedures uh, would voice our concerns in our GOP conference. You know, a lot of Americans don't understand that 99.9% of everything that we're seeing as a concession or an agreement or a re-implementation was agreed upon before the very first vote. So, for example, we had already eliminated proxy voting. We had already looked at the germaneness single-point legislation bill. We'd already accepted the Texas border plan. We'd already received the motion to vacate from the speaker in case he didn't actually or she didn't actually uh, do what she said she was going to do or he do on the conservative uh, platform. Uh, there was a lot of things like a balanced budget within 10 years to 2032. There was... Uh, the ability to start pushing for term limits, you know, all of these types of things were already agreed upon prior to the first vote. Um, you know, the things that were made, which, you know, maybe some feel very passionate about, I, I was less concerned about with things like moving the motion to vacate from five votes to one vote. Right. You know, the reality is, is one vote is going to be 20 votes. 20 votes is 40 votes. Uh, the other thing that people were pushing on is to make sure that uh, the congressional leadership fund could not play in open primaries. You know, this to me didn't really make a whole lot of sense because what's going to stop the Congressional Leadership Fund or other large donors from just creating another uh, pack of some sort or a super pack and just running it under a different name or running under a different uh, individual or whatever the case may be. So, you know, you're never going to get the transparency and accountability you wanted in that. And so, you know, for me, the minute that we got to where he had agreed and I challenged leadership the first day to do a 100 percent audit on all funds that went to Ukraine. You know, I'm one of those that believes in transparency because as congressional members, we're supposed to be stewards of the taxpayers' money. And there's been no checks and balance. There's been irresponsible spending. We're now at a physical cliff, you know, when it comes to our, our, our debt ceiling. And I wanted to see change, not status quo. And so when leadership accepted all those and put it in writing, that allowed me to go ahead and start pushing forward with my vote uh, to get behind McCarthy. I personally... I ran on the campaign, and I actually even came in to, to, to push for Jim Jordan as speaker. Uh, Congressman Jordan is a close friend of mine that I've known for seven-plus years. He's one of the people that I talked to before my race. But when Congressman Jordan said, look, we have limited and removed the power from the speaker, the power is now back into the chair positions on these committees and back to the individual members who represent their constituency, I understood what he was talking about. But also, I got a call from President Trump. President Trump said, listen, we've already got all the agreements to start riding the ship and stop the abuse of power by the speaker. We even implemented regular order, which enables us to run our bills through the committee and have them done the proper way, not run through the speaker and have his buddy's bills get on the floor, but not others. So, you know, we, we essentially replaced and put in accountability. And that's why, you know, even Congressman Jordan said, I can do more as chairman of the judiciary than I could as speaker. Let's get behind and give this a try. 
Yeah, and it seemed to have panned out in the end. It's good to, you know, regardless of when they were negotiated on and agreed upon, where we're at right now, uh, we've, we've seen a couple moves in regards to committee assignments and, and things of that nature uh, and, and how Speaker McCarthy's kind of come out and addressed the press a couple times since he's been uh, sworn in. That, that makes me a little bit more optimistic than I was when it was kind of like uh, WrestleMania on the, on the House floor, kind of. You know, there, was, there may or may not have been a steel chair. I, I don't know. <laughs> But but it was it was it was it was pretty good to watch. I think I think definitely everybody at least airing out what their big concerns were, whether it be on Tucker Carlson or when they were up having their times to uh, speak on the House floor. We're good for getting this party uh, back in the direction it needs to be heading in. Which is you know the next thing I want to touch with you on. I saw Armed Services Committee and, and Foreign Affairs, two things that you are uh, kind of an expert in. Were you pretty happy to see uh, where you landed as far as committee assignments went? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of uncommon. We kind of have like a bit of a, a wish list, but ultimately, you know, you have 30 members who are still on the steering committee and you have to have a certain amount of votes in order to get pulled onto those committees. But I think that we have demonstrated through uh, my military experience, through my time as a Trump appointee, as an advisor of the SECDEF, through the three dozen plus articles I've written on geopolitics, etc. Um, I think that we had proven to be value add to those two committees. And the one that I'm most proud about, uh, and both of them, I mean, it's such an honor to serve on, but I'm really looking forward to serving on the subcommittee for Afghan withdrawal investigation. And I can tell you right now, we will be subpoenaing going after Secretary Lloyd, Secretary Blinken, uh, and all those who need to be held accountable for the 13 U.S. service members who lost their life, the 13 new Gold Star members who need accountability and answers and closure, and also for the thousands of Americans that was left behind. We need answers, and American people demanded that. We're going to go get it. Well, you make a lot of sense there. We have Congressman Max Miller from Ohio joining us on the show next week, and we know he was chomping at the bit to at least have a committee set up to get down to the bottom of what happened with the Afghan withdrawal. And uh, it's good to see people like you on those committees. And uh, I I think some of our foreign affairs are going to be in better hand, and we all know how passionate you are about the services, being a veteran yourself. So one of the things you have weighed in on recently, uh, I saw on, on some of your social media, was kind of the weird and at the same time disastrous uh, go about that the FFA has been having in regard. I mean, we saw every plane in the country grounded again for several hours just uh, just about a week ago, and uh, it seems like you know over the course of the last couple of years, our our air and, and traffic systems are pretty broken. Is that something that you know you as a congressman are going to be looking to get to the bottom of and, and maybe getting it back on a more efficient track moving forward? Since apparently the transportation secretary can't do anything about it. Well, you know, absolutely, we need to be looking at how and why our FAA field systems are going down, the NOTAM systems are going down, what type of additional funding is required to help us to update and ensure that we don't have any cybersecurity threats. And again, I've not yet had the full readout to know whether or not a cybersecurity breach had or had not occurred. Um, you know, we need to look at these things, but also, you know, Secretary Pete needs to stop worrying about, you know, breastfeeding and start worrying about actually getting our supply chain and our FAA under control. And and I want to take a step back on one thing real quick, if I can, Ron, which is that, you know, one of the other reasons that that Afghan investigation is so important to me, I'm the only member of Congress who actually went over to rescue Americans. And I stopped my campaign and conducted the very first of my team, the very first successful overland rescue of Americans from a mother and her three children who were born and raised Amarillo, Texas natives in Congressman Ronnie Jackson's district. So I watched firsthand how the Biden administration tried to thwart our efforts. Uh, We were threatened to be shot down and an F-16 scrambled on an American aircraft with Americans in it there to rescue 28 Americans. And that was on August 26th when the actual explosion occurred at Abbey Gate. So I want answers as to why they were stopping us from actually doing the job that the U.S. government should have been doing from the beginning, which is protecting American lives. 
Um, and, and while that was all going on, actual U.S. servicemen were cleaning the bathrooms at the airport where, where they were evacuating from, which we were able to confirm through multiple sources on this show back in August as well. Very, very, very big investigation that needs to happen there. Maybe not as big as the one that's that's kind of developing up on Capitol Hill rate lately. And that's the last thing I want to touch with you on, uh, Congressman, and that's the Joe Biden document. Uh, you know, story that's exploded in the news over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, it's been in the news for a lot longer than that, according to the FBI and DOJ, all the way back before the midterm elections, uh, but was repressed from the news cycle, a la the Hunter Biden laptop back in, uh, you know, October of 2020. So th- this is a developing story. It seems like every day there's something new that they find or a component that they can add to it, like the FBI thought about going and look for documents, but then they wanted to let the Biden legal team handle it. There's no visitor logs at Joe Biden's private residence in Delaware, which, you know, regardless of what you're saying, people need to know. The Secret Service knows who's going in and out of there based off the fact that right. you, you guys are going to have to do some some pretty big uh, peeling back the onion to get to the bottom of this one. Well, I just want to first start out by saying that my garage is marked safe for classified <laughs> documentation. Um, you know, the idea that you have a vice president who cannot declassify something who is actually ridiculing our president, President Trump, for having declassified documents in a safe, in Mar-a-Lago, protected by the Secret Service, in a locked office, but yet he can have top-secret classified documents that could have outed or even named certain agents or things like this that were involved in ongoing operations, and they're sitting in his garage, you know, next to his Corvette where Hunter Biden and others have access to these things. You know, this is a real concern. And I think that, you know, on top of which, we need to start looking at how much we already know, thanks to Elon Musk and the $44 billion in Twitter files, that the CIA and other agencies and departments were involved in paying Twitter to suppress information to the American people. And this is interference in elections. This is also, in my opinion, an abuse of power. And I think that's why I'm very happy that one of the subcommittees that we voted for and is now in place that Congressman Jim Jordan will be heading up is the one on the weaponization of federal government. We're now going to be able to do a church-style committee. And if anyone remembers what uh, Senator Frank Church did when he investigated the IRS and the FBI and CIA and all the other three-letter agencies, this allows us to go after them, to subpoena them, to investigate them, not just at the bureaucratic level of department and agency, but the individual agents and bureaucrats themselves. We need to start holding people accountable. No more Peter Strzok trying to abuse his position. No more Hunter Biden's trying to be able to, you know, get the Secret Service or the CIA or the others to try and suppress his his files and his information. You know, we need real answers, real accountability. We need to stop the weaponization of our federal government against the American people. Yeah, speaking of which, does it does it concern you at all that you know, both heads of the special counsel, that's Robert Hur on, on Joe Biden's currently, and then Jack Smith uh, on the one that's looking into the Donald Trump documents down at Mar-a-Lago are both connected not only to former disgraced FBI director Rod Rosenstein, but were both part of the Mueller investigation? Of course it concerns me. you got a huge conflict of interest, but how has that changed anything? The president has continuously been targeted. I've seen his Fourth and his Sixth Amendment violated during the raid of Mar-a-Lago, and I still haven't seen any proof to what he has done as far as wrongdoing when the president has a right on Air Force One to have declassified those documents. You know, the idea that if they were so top secret and so classified, why were they taking photos to put on the internet where they'd strewn them across the ground there in the Mar-a-Lago? Why did they prevent 
anyone from the Trump team from being in the room with them as they were doing all these different individual things. You know, why is it that Joe Biden's attorney, however, is telling him, don't ask what documents were in the room because that way you have plausible deniability. You know, there's such a conflict of interest and such a bias in how the federal government is being weaponized against conservatives, against the GOP, and that's what we're going to go after. We're going to get accountability. We're going to make sure that there is balance. This is not a partisan issue, and I need the American people to understand it. This isn't a Republican or Democrat issue. This is a weaponization of the federal government against the American people. This is an American issue, and we know that it took place in 2004 under Obama with the IRS. We're seeing it with our FBI agents against the cross, you know, hurricane crossfire, crossfire hurricane yep. uh, operation that struck and others were involved in. So we need to get truth and accountability, and that's what the American people voted a, a GOP majority into the House for. No, you make a whole lot of sense there, and it's the absolute truth. Congressman, we'd like you uh, jumping on the show with us. We know you're ridiculously busy. You're heading back up to D.C. next week, and uh, we'll be looking to have you back at the show at sometime in February. For everybody that's not already following you, we're going to link your congressional website today, but what's your social media? Uh, we're at Corey Mills FL, or you can follow our press at Rep Mills Press. We'll link them both. This is the congressman that's representing Florida 7th. District came in for a little bit of fire today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Congressman Corey Mills, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. We're experiencing some exhilaration of relief uh, in Davos. Hyperpopulists lost elections and accepted uh, their defeat. Europe has not uh, frozen. Recession has not uh, come. China has adjusted its policies uh, towards the world, and inflation has decelerated. Those are all positive uh, things and reasons why we should feel better than we felt a few months ago. But relief must not become uh, complacency. Mm -hmm. Inflation is down. But just as transitory factors elevated inflation earlier, transitory factors have contributed to the declines that we have seen uh, in inflation. And as in many journeys, the last part of the journey is often the hardest. And that's true with respect to a return to uh, the inflation target. You need to know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been. Some of the vaccines that will come on down the line will be multiple. There'll be multiple shots. So you've got to have, for, for reasons to do with the healthcare more generally, but certainly for uh, a pandemic or for, um, for, for vaccines, you've got to have a proper digital infrastructure. And many countries don't have that. In fact, most countries don't have that. Um, normalizing LGBTQ folks, including us in all stories. So that's the other piece that I think is really important. And we've worked really closely with Hollywood on this. We are all connected in the LGBTQ community. So we would help you find the right people on the ground to advise you in that culture. It's really important that you're acting within the culture that you're in and you're speaking within the culture that you are. But, um, and I think it's what you mentioned about getting ahead of it instead of coming behind it um, and understanding the cultural landscape and playing out from a PR standpoint what's going to could happen or not happen um, but you have to do it you have to take care of the rules of the international law and really respect that and not change it in a time when there are countries that choose the way not to respect them 
and Russia chose that way. So we have countries that are respecting the rules, and we have countries that are respecting their national interests going beyond the rules. And that is what is happening, and we have to take into consideration the world order. Scientifically, this is not a climate crisis. We are now facing something deeper. Mass extinction, air pollution, undermining ecosystem functions, really putting humanity's future at risk. This is a planetary crisis. By 2070, as many as 3 billion people will live in uninhabitable zones. And I think the, uh, the sophistication of the private sector is, is improving and, and particularly important, the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI, has, I think, uh, made significant strides. Pretty much every technology we could talk about today, uh, we see both great opportunity but great, great dangers uh, in the wrong hand. Here at WEF, I believe we're discussing, um, there's a lot of discussion about what the, the new world order will be or how, even in the context of, uh, of our, our, our new Helsinki, uh, how do we f work towards that new normative international order that allows us to address our differences and disputes as the civilized world. Uh, and I believe perhaps we are at the moment in such a hyper-partisan, hyper-polarized time that we're not going to be able to form uh, that new Helsinki uh, today. But I hope going forward we are able to do, I mean, we must, we must form uh, and improve our normative and international institutional order internationally so, so that we can address these complaints. I hope this time around, once we're building this new world order or new rules-based order, the voice of the global south and the developing world is included. Those were some of the sounds from the World Economic Forum at Davos this week, and this is Steak for Breakfast. If it's your first time joining us today, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, of course, welcome back. Guys, don't forget to follow us across every social media platform. Just type in Steak for Breakfast Podcast. You'll find us also, subscriptions, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. They are key. Seems like the key to the uh, World Economic Forum this year, as is in all years, is world domination. Uh, we just put out a new Substack today. Listen, if you want to know the highlights, you're not going to eat steak for breakfast, but you will enjoy your cereal with strawberry cockroach milk if Ugh. they have their way eventually. And between... AI and VR, you might not be living in the pod yet, owning nothing and, and being very happy, but they're tricking you into it. Well, the, the strawberry cockroach milk is, mm. is actually vegan because it's not made out of cockroaches, it's made out of strawberries. When you read the Substack, look at the meme I found for the strawberry cockroach milk. You're going <laughs> to really enjoy it. So, you know that dude that's up in uh, Canada with the uh, size Z milgers? Mm -hmm. Well, some of our meme masters to fix the cockroach head to him. Oh, perfect. Oh. What's not perfect is the narrative that's going down. You heard everybody from Tony Blair talking about vaccines for everyone, um, the LBGT whatever community saying how they have deeply entrenched themselves into Hollywood to force mm. their agenda on you. And you even heard current FBI director Christopher Ray talking about global surveillance and police oversight. I think it's global surveillance. Funny you mentioned that because Tucker Carlson weighed in on the event, as only he could. Uh, part of his cold open was, was named, you've guessed it, Eat the Bugs. And uh, <laughs> talked about the absolute shit show circus that's going on down at Davos Net right now. Let's hear him. Now, 
The event kicked off this week with 84-year-old Klaus Schwab. He's the founder of the WEF, promising to, quote, master the future. We couldn't meet at a more challenging time. We are confronted with so many crises simultaneously. What does it need to master the future? I think to have a platform where all stakeholders of global society are engaged. We must masters of future. <laughs> masters of future. <laughs> so mastering the future is now the top item on the to-do list at the World Economic Forum this year. That's the first clue. These people are not living the same life you are. By the end of this week, you hope to find some time to get an oil change or maybe pick up some dandruff shampoo at Rite Aid. At the World Economic Forum, they plan to master the future. That's the kind of people they are. How are they going to do it, by the way? Well, they're going to do it with John Kerry, who, despite physical appearances, is still alive. <laughs> well, Kerry will be 80 years old this year. So it goes without saying that if he's going to master the future, he'd better hurry. Thankfully, he's got a plan. Watch. It's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives are able to sit in a room and come together Got him. and um, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. And if you said that to most people, most people, they think you're just a crazy tree-hugging, lefty, liberal, you know, do-gooder, whatever. Fact check true. And, and there's no relationship. But really, that's where we are. <laughs> so most people don't understand, but we are a select group of human beings, John Kerry tells the attendees of the World Economic Forum, who honestly did not need to be reminded of that. People may say we're crazy, tree-hugging, liberal do-gooders, but we know the truth, which is that actually we're soulless, greed-head money worshippers who'd sell our own children to China for a big enough tax credit. Yeah. <laughs> Yo. Yeah, he was feeling it, and uh, that's kind of the way you got to look at it. it. Well, the whole, all, all of those speakers, the only thing missing was one of them to slip and say, Mr. Bond. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you're right, and uh, just the whole way that they look at average, everyday people across the world, like, they literally are trying to make it to where they don't even have to say we're better off without you. They're trying to make it happen. Uh, if they're not shoving things into your veins... They're shoving, like, you know, plant-based garbage down your throat, virtual reality into your eyeballs. It's, like, hitting you from all angles. Well, it's in incrementalism again, too. They're slowly pushing these bits and pieces of, of it, and they're, you know, funding money into, into influencers and companies that are going to be like, this is actually the best thing you can do for the planet, and blah, 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 blah. But now it's like, you know, every little bit, it's like, oh, yeah, I had the Impossible Meat Burger, and... Now I have bitch tits, but, you know, whatever. And my butt bleeds. <laughs> but everything's good because I'm reducing my carbon footprint. No, idiot, you're reducing your own footprint because oh! yeah, you're going to be dead if you stay on this path. One of the things that the World Economic Forum has advocated for over the years and now is full-on happening everywhere on the planet is open borders, one world planet. Mm. After they, you know, strategically ruined Europe for the most part with the uh, migrant crisis they caused there, they finally found an empty suit empty enough in Joe Biden to facilitate this with the help of his ringmaster, Alejandro Mayorkas, on our U.S. southern border. Um, yeah, this empty suit has a self-destruct button, though. That's the other thing. 
And we'll hey, get, oh, you got a crackhead son? Perfect. Yeah. Oh, look, I found another document. Oh. We did play a clip on our Wednesday edition of the show this week of Republican Congresswoman Maria Salazar talking about this open border policy and parlaying it into amnesty. She sat down with Maria this week and, and she wanted to clarify on this. And, and listen, as, as what I consider the first place that you heard the big Biden amnesty bill is coming down the pike as his major piece of legislation on the back end of his first term in office. Here's another confirmation of it with Salazar. Let's listen. Five million plus illegal migrants crossing into America on Joe Biden's watch. One million others getting away. We don't know their intentions. They evaded apprehension. Deadly fentanyl killing American citizens. Where's the policy? No, there's none. And the Biden and I want everyone to understand that the Biden administration or the Democratic Party does not have or does not dare to introduce in Congress an immigration reform, overhauling everything, the legal and the and the legal immigration. Well, Senator Joe Manchin was sitting in that seat yesterday. Yes. He said there will be no immigration reform until we secure the border. And we are. And the Dignity Act, which is the bill that I introduce and I'm going to reintroduce, has the strongest. Listen to me well. Has the strongest border security measures in the history of Congress. No fucking because. Way. I believe that a Latina, that Hispanic, you know, the, the bulk of the people that are coming in are coming from Central America, escaping economic problems. Easy but there, We're J-Lo. introducing something that will tell them, stop, no more, mm-hmm. no more fentanyl, no more terrorists, no more sex, child sex traffickers. But then at the, when, once we seal that with all the technology out there that it's available, all right? anything, then we do two things. We reform our legal immigration so we can allow those people that want to come in and help the economy. And then we look back and then we give dignity to those who, not citizenship, dignity to those who are helping the American economy. So in case you were wondering, the word dignity does mean citizenship eventually. Mm. You know, I've seen her do it because she got into it with Tucker Carlson in like the beginning of the midterm election cycle. She was running for re-election down there in Florida. And the thing is, she apparently is going to be the douchebag Mitch McConnell type of the House of Representatives. And she is going to advocate for, we will do whatever you want in regards to locking the border down because we've literally let enough people in. We can change the face of so many things, including elections with all the people that are here. Any kind of give. Oh, so now there's enough that they're done? To any kind of amnesty will lead to up to 40 million people having a pathway to citizenship who are here illegally that are ruining your kids' education, rising up the cost of health care, and tanking our economy, crushing wages on a regular basis, uh, and this is what they want. And this is where it's going. And, and you can see the ones Maria Salazar bought and paid for. She she is might as well be Mitch McConnell. She's just a little less wrinklier. Mm. Uh, but it goes across the board. So we have Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Obviously, we're going to have Salazar in the House. Now we need a gubernatorial representative. It was pretty funny to see... Someone who a lot of people think is popular, some who just like him because he butts heads with Donald Trump, but someone who's kind of mastered the art of the establishment, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, also was at Davos this week. So weird how all these people just kind of randomly show up there and want to, you know, get get on the main stage and talk about big time platforms and how we're going to reshape the planet and engineer our futures he was also talking about the topic of border enforcement. Let's hear if he's bought and paid for as well. The question to the voters, you know, look at the candidates and ask who's been fighting for you. 
Who was fighting to keep your business open when all the pressure from both political parties, from people in high places, from a lot of other people that were sitting in their basement on a computer was not to stay open, was not to reopen our economy? Who was pushing to get our kids back in the classroom? He talked about the basement dwellers. Well, we did all of those things. And, you know, we proved that we were fighting for people. We were fighting for election security. We were fighting for people to have a good-paying job and to have, you know, to survive, to live, to fight another day economically in our state. Uh, We fought for our people by giving them a billion dollars of their tax money back to help them fight through 40-year high inflation because, in my opinion, of a lot of bad policies in Washington, D.C. And the voters of, of my state, the great state of Georgia, certainly responded to that. Thank you, Governor. Um, how does it look seeing it from uh, the capital, your capital, and looking at uh, D.C.? Um, there's a lot of partisanship, and of course there will be disagreements in the democracy, but do you think it has gone so far that it can be a negative factor for America now moving forward? Well, listen, I think from my perspective, a lot of frustration with Washington, D.C. I understand you know, Senator Coombs' position on the IRA. Uh, but, you know, that hurt Georgia-based uh, electric vehicle companies in our state. It was not treating them fairly. I believe the legislation picked winners and losers. Thankfully, I think the administration is working on, on fixing that. I don't think we were treated fairly in a state because we had been open. We had a low unemployment rate. So the level of funding coming out of Washington, D.C. and the current administration we were treated differently from New York and California. You know, their citizens per capita were getting more money than ours. And so that's frustrating to some, someone like me as a governor that just wants to be, uh, have our citizens treated, treated fairly. You know, there's frustrations, quite honestly. Look, if there's gridlock in Washington, D.C., uh, one thing you can count on is the stability and a great economy, a great business environment in the state of Georgia, and we're gonna keep rocking and rolling. But it is frustrating to have to deal with the fentanyl crisis because we simply cannot secure our border in this country. And I'm hopeful that something gets done. But, you know, my advice, take it for what it's worth while we're waiting on that, just secure the border. I mean, literally every governor in the country is dealing with the fentanyl crisis. We're dealing with street gang crisis. We're dealing with human trafficking crisis. And those are the issues that we're trying to tackle at the state level. Uh, but I believe much could be solved. And I think there will be broad bipartisan support for simply, in the meantime, you, while you're working on these things, to secure the dang border. And, and there it is. Yeah, so the, the thing with that, though, is while every governor is dealing with that stuff, some governors are not really concerned about it. Like, let's say the governor of California, where the rampant drug issues that are happening in, say, San Francisco, mm. they're just working on ways to facilitate it and make it easier. and I mean, it's it's almost like it's a revenue stream for them. I, I did see this morning, just quick side note before I get back into Governor Kemp, I saw a shop owner was arrested in San Francisco this morning and charged with like a uh, misdemeanor assault charge. Is that the one who was hosing down the... Homeless people. Yeah, well... Mm, that's where we're at. But, but, but he's literally shitting on my storefront, stealing newspapers off the rack and wiping his ass with it. So I just hosed him so he'd go down the street. No, you're going to fucking jail. Have fun in jail. Welcome to California. Welcome to California. Circling back to Governor Kemp, he lines up all the good things. Yes, he was the best on COVID. Yes, they kept the economy open. Also, yes, he did make a really bad electric, I'm going to say it like him, 
vehicle vehicle deal with George Soros based companies to bring electric car manufacturing to Georgia but that's neither here nor there and then he kind of parlays it into oh rampant crime and uh, affecting the economy and the fentanyl crisis and we got to lock down the border people who are overtly coming out by this and saying like even without saying it I'll do whatever it takes here's what I'm seeing a lot of people aren't even talking about this yet I really think all of these migrants getting bused to every major city, especially in the Democrat-ran states, is forcing the Democrats to get on board and work with Republicans to say, whatever it takes to make them stop coming here, we need to do. Yeah, we need this to not be visible to our constituents. And that's going to be amnesty. So they'll say, oh, okay, yeah, we'll completely shut the border down. We'll put tanks there. But you got to... Look at all these. They're so sad. Mm -hmm. They came from bad places. They contribute kind of to crime rates and low test scores in your kid's school. But at the same time, it's contributing. It's just contributing. And all that money we need to spend by the end of the year. (sighs) People that are coming out and overtly calling for who you wouldn't suspect for heightened border security. And now they're even just, we need to seal the border. That is going to be the carrot that they dangle to the Republicans in the House and Senate to push for this amnesty bill. Kristen Cinema, not in flip-flops and sundresses. She wore more of like a bath mat, uh, was at Davos as well. Um, she was talking about relationships, not like when she had one with Gavin Newsom. Mm. Uh, it was more like the ones uh, that she has with Senator Joe Manchin and current Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. Uh, let's hear her real quick when she sat on a panel out at Davos. Because since last time we met, you you become an independent. That's I think correct. Happened that same day or the day after, didn't it? So, as folks know, I have declared formally declared my independence from what I consider to be a deeply wearing. broken two-party system. Those who know me know that I was always an independent voice and always have, have been for the things that I believe in and for yes, my state do. and for my country. But I do think it's important to note that the that what you've heard about partisanship, I believe, is accurate. You know, in the, in the last two years, if we, if we think, you know, January 6th, which is a horrible day um, from two years ago, um, created, I, I think, concern and fear for every patriotic American across the country. Oh. But in the resulting two years, the Democratic Party um, shared a narrative that said we would not have any more free and fair elections in this country if the United States Congress didn't eliminate the filibuster and pass a massive um, voting rights package. As as we all know, the filibuster was not eliminated. Joe and I were not interested in sacrificing that important guardrail for the institution. Um, That massive voting rights bill was not passed through Congress. And then we had a free and fair election all across the country. And as has been noted, the outcome of that election was different than many people expected. Most election deniers lost um, across the country. And individuals of both political parties, some extreme, some moderate, won. So we had a free and fair election. So one could posit that the push by one political party to eliminate an important guardrail in an institution in our country may have been premature or overreaching in order to get the short-term victories they wanted. 
Then we fast forward to where we are today, and we saw the House of Representatives struggle for multiple days in, the, in a row as Kevin McCarthy, dear friend of mine, had to, con- mm. had to continue conceding point after point after point fucked? to mm. the radical right of the GOP to a point where he's now in an unenviable position that will make it very difficult for us to meet our obligation when the debt limit fight comes up later this year. Those are just two examples of the pull that you see political parties giving in order to get everything they want. Well, yeah, you know what? I don't know why she went independent. She probably could have won re-election if she would have just ran over to the Republican side and just been like a rhino and been Mm -hmm. open about it. Because, I mean, she was an awful Democrat. She's just like so bought and paid for. Uh, and, and tied to big corporation and, and big banks and, and lots of money. You know, it's just... I think everybody should just have like a WF, a WEF uh, icon next to their name on, on the ballots. Just be like, hey, by the way, this person was at Davos. Yeah. I, I, it's just, I mean, I have no idea. Is there anybody that we actually remotely trust that's gone there to be part of this? I mean, Daryl Issa goes there. And I mean, he's one of the toughest in Congress at least in the House, on border security, like, for the right reasons. I mean, I guess maybe some people are going just to keep an eye on their, you know, keep your keep your friends closer, your enemies closer than your friends. Yeah, it's just, it's it's mind-blowing to see how these people operate and, and why they do it. You know, you go and, and talk about good things, like killing that voter right bill, and, you know, talking about preserving the filibuster, which we definitely need, because then whoever has power in the House would just, go crazy and, and you know that at the same time you start bragging about just being a douchebag which is like what she is and i i don't know you, you know you already see a democrat in arizona coming uh gallegos looks like he's getting to get ready to run obviously someone's going to run on the republican side a lot of people are calling for blake masters uh to rerun for the senate or or a lot of people have teased carrie lake's name as well but but if it comes down to a three horse race, that's a massive split right there. It's not mm-hmm. like one of the people are going to fall off like they did in some of the other elections uh, that were ran across the country this year at the last minute. Sometimes after the uh, primary was over, so it's interesting to see. Almost as interesting as uh, you know the one thing that we're all funding this year besides fighting climate change, and that's the war in Ukraine. Oh, perfect! I don't know if you saw it yesterday. We're going to have to add it up. We've now. We've reached 48 border walls uh, worth of cash fund and aid sent to Ukraine. Yesterday, uh, the Defense Department made a pledge to send 90 strikers with a Y and 65 Abrams tanks. Well, those will be fun on the black market when they get fucking lost. (laughs) Yeah, and... uh, the total of that would be close to, I, th- I believe it was like $2.67 billion. In addition, the White House is very poignant about who gets to claim victory and what it looks like. That brokered deal for the military equipment, the tanks and such, was made after Noah's favorite general, General Milley, oh. spent a week in Kiev hanging out with Vladimir and, and friends. Probably mm. exchanging fashion tips on, on hot jumpsuits for the season. <laughs> <laughs> and like I called it the other day on the show, it didn't take long after that really bad back and forth between 
Corinne Jean-Pierre and the press for the manager to come out and single for the reliable righty to come in. John Kirby was in the White House press pool today talking about Zelensky versus Putin and what he insists it must look like. What do you mean by that? What win, winning looks like when we were in, uh, in Ukraine? Well, as long as it takes means as, as long as it takes, and it means that I'm unable uh, to give you a date certain on the calendar uh, for, you know, when, uh, you know, when uh, that support won't be necessary anymore. It's necessary now. It's oh. going to be necessary in coming weeks and months oh. for certain. And we want to make sure that we're meet you, meeting the need as best we can uh, for Ukraine. And you had what does winning look like? President Zelensky gets, determined, gets to determine uh, what victory looks like. We're not dictating that to him either. Um, what we've said is we're going to continue to help them defend themselves, defend their sovereignty, win back their territory as they should, as they must, uh, and to defend their citizens and their infrastructure. You know, that comes off the heels of that Millie visit where they talked about the U.S. being all in. I don't know what that means on Ukraine launching an offensive to take back Crimea. What, what are the, what's the over-under on them actually regaining any of this lost territory? I would say 0%. Yeah, it's, right it's, around well, 0%. it's not going to happen. Yeah. That just means that, well, hey, you know, just, just so you guys know, we're, you know, Zelensky, this figurehead that we've, you know, installed in as heels. the poster boy for the military industrial complex, he's going to be in charge of saying when this is over. And luckily enough, as long as we keep giving him money, it'll never be over. Ever. Ever. And, and, and even if it is over, like let's say, for instance, somehow they take out Zelensky or whatever the fuck happens, well, they still need to reclaim their territory. It's just a fucking ace in the hole forever. Lindsey Graham is also in Ukraine right now, and he, he made a statement today that says, if we don't... Not that they can take out Zelensky from his green screen in Miami or wherever the hell he's hiding. But, true story. If we don't take out Putin or arrest him and he is held accountable for his crimes, which were unnamed, uh, we will fail on a level like we did with missing some of the top leadership in World War II. That's literally what he said this morning. M missing some of the top leadership? Yeah, missing out on, like, obviously we didn't get to get to Hitler and uh, yeah. Mussolini's people took care of himself. But what about all the war criminal doctors that we... Well, they all have statues Operation out, outside of our federal buildings because <laughs> they started all the bad agencies that run this country right uh. now. Circling back to Kirby real quick, I just want to let everybody know. I know Noah was garrisoning, and garrisoning the shit out of him. <laughs> That's how you don't answer a question, KJP. That's what your ace looks like. Okay, you just totally go off the rails and then tell you repeat the same thing over and over again. And then you just put your elbow up on the, on the, on the podium and say, yeah. That's what I said. He gets to claim victory. He gets to tell us what it looks like. All we're doing is paying for it. And, and, and next question. So you don't have to get all huffy-puffy with the press. You just act like a total pro, which leads us into our next guest. I can't imagine someone who's more professional than this guy that's about to jump in with us right now. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you're in a promo code stake here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com. 
a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Joining us next on the show today is a former congressman from California. He's currently the CEO of True Social, one of our great friends coming back. It's been a while. Mr. Devin Nunes, thanks for joining us. Seems like it was just yesterday I was on with you guys. It was before the holidays, and we have missed you. How's everything going with you, sir? Was it before the ho- Was it really before the holidays? Yeah, yeah. Oh You're- my gosh! Wow, that means that means we've been we've been working hard. Well, Seems like it was yesterday. We, we've seen a lot of the work that you've been doing, so we at least know that you've been working hard. But yeah, we're all out here working. How's everything going on your end? How's uh, everything down at True Social? We've seen since the last time we've talked to you, the big update came down. We got some instant messaging now and some other features. Uh, what can you tell us about what's uh, coming down the pike for True Social? Well, look, we're really excited with the direct messaging that we that we launched. You know, we had to everything we build, we have to build from scratch because we're building an uncancelable system, right? I always say, and I think I've said it before on your show, that you know, us working with Rumble, we're building this beachhead against big tech that's impenetrable, and you know that's why it takes so long to build these different features out. It's because we, you know, we can't just call up Amazon or Microsoft or go hire some engineers to come in and 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 help us for a short time to build something. We have to do it with our own our own team, and we have to build it slow. We can't use we can't use anyone from the outside because we don't want to be uh, sabotaged or or canceled. So, with that said, um, you know, we build these features out slow, but but the direct messaging is one that that we really needed to get done. We got it done. Um, now we're doing some some updates uh, to all of that, uh, those those different uh, new features. But what we are doing now, I think the Android users will be uh, excited about this uh, because, as many of you know, uh, we didn't get allowed on to the Google Play Store until right before the election. Yep. And so now, but we've been building an actual a native app for Android. Uh, and so that will that is actually in in testing right now, and that will launch. Um, you know, I never I never want to give dates, but let's just say that it's it's you know it's going to launch in the coming weeks. Coming weeks. Well, that is how's that? Yeah, that is pretty exciting and something that I know Which, those Android look uh, users are going to be looking for. Yeah, because it's because right now we have you know it works well on Android. You can go and download. I don't want to. I don't want anybody to think you you can actually go and get the app if you have an Android now. Uh, but you know we had to be careful before we spent all kinds of money building out a, a what's called a native app. So it'll just more, it'll work more seamless. So people that have you know if you're used to a if you if you've used our app on on an iPhone, um, you know what it's like. It's very clean, very simple, works fast, and. So we want to be comparable on uh, on Android systems too. So anyway, that's uh, that's in in beta testing now, and that's going to be exciting. So that's coming out, and then we are building groups right now, a group function, because you know my goal here always is to keep things simple, but have most of what Facebook and Instagram. Twitter, et cetera, have. And this group function, you know, will will give us basically a kind of a cross between Facebook, what Facebook can do and what Reddit can do. So that'll be that's really exciting. It's a big, it's a big project. And it's one that uh that we've been, you know, working on, you know, last year, but we're actually building it now. 
Oh, that sounds really exciting. I know the, the boys down at the Republican High Command are going to be excited for that one coming over from Twitter. A lot of them have accounts on True Social right now, but have definitely been looking for the groups. Congressman, one of the things that I've, I've noticed, you, you have a little bit of a different spin to your uh, new season of podcast. I enjoy listening to it, and I try to put them out there whenever they come. I listen to the one. Oh, with, you're very kind. <laughs> well, Thank I was you. just listening. I finished the one with Greg Kelly and saw you launched a new one this morning, which I plan on listening to later today. But you want to tell our listenership a little bit what, what you're doing? They see you on True Social all the time, and, and yes, we're all sharing each other's content, but there might be some people out there who don't know you have a podcast and uh, what you're doing this season on it. Well, so so – I created the podcast back in the day to combat the fake news. When I was in Congress, um, once I was being shadow banned by all the social networking companies, I created, I, I started the, an audio version of a podcast to simply get around the fake news so that I could speak directly to people. And that's that's actually how I ended up, uh, you know, finding Rumble in in Canada was because Dan Bongino called me and said, Hey, your audio podcast is crushing it. Um, you ought to try this company called YouTube. Maybe you guys have heard of it. <laughs> and uh, because if you did video, you'll do you'll you'll do a lot of views on on YouTube. And so I did that. And anyway, the long story short, after like you know, you know, a month of posting, like I was getting negative views on YouTube. So I was clearly getting shadow banned. And then I had my team. I said, look, we just got to find a video player somewhere. And one that we can email out to my supporters. And uh, anyway, we uh, ended up finding Rumble and the rest is uh, rest is history. And then ultimately, Dan Bongino got canceled by YouTube. And uh, and of course, he was one of the big promoters. I got him to go on Rumble early. Uh, and that's just a, that's it's a great story. Uh, but look, since then, you know, when I left Congress a year ago, um, I started back up. I, I took a, a break because, you know, for obvious reasons. But then. Last year, I used it a little bit uh, just to, you know, just to kind of keep people informed. But this year, I'm going to try to do it more regularly, which is to feature uh, some of our our users on on True Social. And so it's kind of a, a turnaround where, like you mentioned, Greg Kelly, where, you know, I get to interview people that typically interview interview me. So it's it's kind of fun. And we're going to do we're just going to try to do a lot more of it. And, you know, so far. Like we just released this morning, I was just in Miami uh, at the Judicial Watch Conference, and I stopped by Locals, which is a, a subsidiary of Rumble. Um, Locals is for small content creators, well, small, medium, large content creators. And I think they're doing something very special because I think in the long run, it can actually change journalism. And anyway, we could get into this, guys, if you want, but but I think it's worth listening to because... This is the future. If, if if you really want to have independent journalism, um, it's going to be done by using this infrastructure that we're building. That you know, True Socials working with Rumble, working with locals, we're all working together here to build out this infrastructure to create an ecosystem for people to live in freedom. And part of that is allowing a great, uh, um, you know, for example, uh, let's take um, a great reporter like Glenn Greenwald, who I think a lot of people know. Yeah. Um, he's now gone to, to rumble. He has a show on rumble, a new show. It's, it's crushing it. And he was on Substack. Well, he now is on locals where he does his, his rumble show and then he has subscribers. So instead of people going to Substack, so he'll put up actual stories that he'll write 
And then also after his show, he has a, if you subscribe to him, he'll come on and then, and then he'll uh, interact with the audience. So it's a combination of both Substack and the capability of Rumble all in one package. And so Glenn Greenwald now has people from all over the world that subscribe to him. So guess what? He doesn't have to be, you know, hired by the Washington, you know, post that's owned by Bezos. He doesn't have to be owned by, you know, whatever. I can't remember all the different uh, companies that that you know Steve Jobs' widow now owns, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. So he is, you know, there on locals. If and and I think the best part about it is if if some other company came around and said, hey, Rumble and locals uh, are and you know True Social, they're not uh, good. We're going to create a whole new company. He could take all those subscribers and leave. So Rumble and locals allow that. So it's really going to be it's it's a new frontier into independent and unfiltered journalism where people can control their own destiny. Yeah, I'm gonna have to set up my locals account in addition to our stake for Substack to get our uh, op eds and commentary articles out there that we put out throughout the course of every week. Um, and and it, yeah, that's a great, it's a great place for it. Right. I mean, it's, you might as well start using it and, um, you know, you don't have to have subscribers unless you, you know, ultimately you could build into that. Yeah. And and it's just an, it's another avenue to be able to, like you said, the, the, the most viable path for real independent journalism moving forward is going to be part of this new larger, I'm going to go ahead and say it apparatus that we, uh, you know, are, are a part of and that your guys are building over there. So it's really incredible to see it kind of going through the birthing process. There's been so many longstanding legacy social media applications and things that are like that, that you, you really don't get to see like the garage days and, and you guys have evolved from that into now something that's, you know, big multinational and, and, and growing every day. So it's, it's been really enjoyable to watch and even more enjoyable to have good content interaction on uh, places like true social Congressman, I do, mm-hmm. I do want to get into some of the issues, you know, beltway wise. I mean, I know it's been a while since you've been out of there, and I'm sure you love talking about it so much. But we, we did. <laughs> it's like it just follows me around. Yeah, so much. Uh, it's like the Russia hoax never dies, and everything is still connected to that. We'll we'll get into that a little bit, but but sitting from where your vantage point is and seeing how the Speaker of the House battle went down, once the dust settled what we got with the new house rules, maybe some committee spots or, or people that are now in house leadership. How would you grade it? How would you think that, you know, the process played out as part of the growing pains in the Republican party and, and what's your optimism level for this new Congress? Yeah. Well, let me start with the last question first. I, my optimism uh, is quite high in terms of the investigative side. Um, I think, and largely because I think people saw what happened during the Russia hoax and the investigation we had to run. And I think a lot of my colleagues who are still there who worked on that, they know now how corrupt our whole system is. You know, I think if you go back five or six years ago, nobody ever thought that the DOJ and FBI would be doing what they're doing today and getting away with, by the way. So I'm optimistic that at least that's the ground where we need to be fighting to protect this country, to protect you know the, our, our constitutional rights in this country. And I think they'll be able to do a good uh, you know a good job um, you know just because we know how corrupt they are now. And I know you have Cash Patel on all the time. I mean, he's wrote a book about it called Government Gangsters, yep. uh, which is currently being held up by the government. They won't let they won't let it be released. Imagine that. Um, but um, you know, in terms of the the squabble, 
Um, I know all those guys. I mean, look, most of the Republicans in Congress are conservative. Um, I, I think it was, uh, you know, look, the process is the process. It's not something that that I would have done or, or recommended because I think that, you know, nearly all of my former colleagues are are conservative. Um, and a lot of what you're seeing are just different tactics, different little groups. And I think it's it's probably, you know, for the most part, unproductive. I'm glad that it got solved the way it got solved, because I think in the end, you know, people can move forward and work together. Um, and, you know, if it were me and I've been there before, um, I tried this several years ago. But I think the big fundamental problem with with Congress, and this is really like deep in the weeds, but we have a process. There, there's there's two types of committees in Congress. There are authorizing committees, and then there's the appropriations committee. And what's happened over the last hundred plus years is that the appropri- the the appropriations process broke completely down. And now everything just is funded kind of at the end of the year. And I know that was the problem they were trying to get at in some of the what they were working on. But what they've but but what really has to happen is the authorizing committees, you know, really need to be somehow merged with the appropriations committee. Um, because what happens is when you walk into a bureaucracy, um, let's say the ag department and you're on the agriculture committee. The truth is the agriculture committee doesn't give a damn. It's like the worst kept secret in Washington. You know, nobody will ever say it, but the people at the USDA don't give a damn about the people on the ag committee, you know, which you know, you're probably wondering what the hell, how's that possible? What they really care about is are the people that are on the appropriations committee that are on the agriculture subcommittee of the appropriations committee. So that means the people that are supposed to be doing the investigating and the and the the hard work on the ag committee don't get listened to. They don't follow subpoenas. They don't care. I'm just using ag the ag committee just because it's a simple one, but sure. it happens across the entire government. And I think that you know had my colleagues kind of I think you know the fight they should have had is should you merge all of these committees together so that you then have you know for all the members that are who are sitting on the agriculture committee. They have real power and you walk into the USDA building and it's like, oh, shit, these guys have real power. We better do what they say. Until then, you're not going to root out the corruption. You're not going to root out the wasteful spending because everything's just sitting over in the Appropriations Committee. And it doesn't mean those members on the Appropriations Committee are bad. They're not. Many of them were were good friends of mine. It's just a small group and there's not too many of them. And it's called, a, you know, it's an A committee for a reason. You know, it's a, people fight to get on that committee. But there's not enough of them to actually go out and do the investigative work. Right. And so anyway, that's that's, I think, the most important thing that ultimately needs to be done. Maybe throughout this year, we were close to getting it done. We had when I was there, I offered it. It got turned into a committee between the House and Senate. Um, It was studied. I even testified before the committee. So I know if, if you were able to get any level of bipartisanship and working with the House and Senate, House and Senate should change all of that. Um, but we'll see if it if it if it ever happens. But that's what they need to work on. Yeah, they they certainly do. I I do know there's some funny business that goes on with lines up with some of the stuff you said. Some of the Congress people who come on our show have mentioned it as well. Do you think there's a disconnect between the House and Senate on the Republican side right now, mainly because some of the way that Mitch McConnell's operated over the course of the last maybe half decade? 
Well, look, I think the big problem for McConnell uh, is that he committed, uh, you know, something that's unthinkable. I think we actually did discuss this last time I was on your show. Um, and that is that you can't go out and trash your your candidates. Yeah. Um, and, and I never bought that, you know, this whole idea and then the fake news went with it. It was all a big fake news narrative that, you know, how bad the Senate candidates are. That was ridiculous. I mean, you know, here you got a football star, you've got a TV star, you've got, you know, young Silicon Valley type that ran in, in Arizona, Blake Masters. You know, you had a fabulous candidate in Nevada, you yeah. know, and for McConnell to go out like six weeks ahead of time and say, oh, my candidates suck. Like, you, you can't do that. And, you know, I never had the luxury of doing that. You know how many campaign events that I would go do for people that, you know, look, I always... You know, I, I always would campaign, you know, for people that, hey, they were in probably a, a Democrat plus 10 district, but they're out there fighting. They took time from their life off to in their jobs to get out there and go raise money and go meet with constituents and build a campaign. And look, you know, yeah, we knew they probably weren't going to win, but they maybe had an outside chance to win. And, you know, people like that, Americans that want to run on the Republican ticket. Deserve the support of, you know, I wasn't even at the top of leadership. I was, you know, chairman of a committee, mm -hmm. but I never went out there and said, ah, yeah, the, our, our candidates just suck. You know, I mean, you can't do that. And uh, why he did that to me, I don't know, but it's just one of those things that is this is inexcusable. No, it certainly is. Well, I, I mean, at least we know here after seeing the the recent developments after the start of the new year, when everybody went back to work, at least he got a bridge out of it to say the least. But the fact <laughs> yeah. of the matter is you, you do make a lot of sense there. And we, we, we have had a Mitch McConnell problem in Congress. We know that he kind of shut down Kevin McCarthy uh, pretty much instantaneously when he talked about maybe kicking the omnibus down to the Republican House at the start of the 118th session of Congress this year. But that's something that I think is going to kind of start taking care of itself maybe a little bit better as we're heading into the 2024 general election how do you feel about Kevin McCarthy being the Speaker of the House? He's come out with some pretty pointed and uh, strong words for things and directions that this Republican caucus wants to go into. In addition to that, I think he's made some great uh, committee appointments that are really going to try and get to the bottom of a lot of the things, everything from the Afghan with withdrawal and the crisis on the U.S. southern border to how the Inflation Non-Reduction Act is really tanking the economy. Yeah, look, I mean, I've I've – I've worked with Kevin McCarthy for many, many years, even before I was in in Washington. We're both from California and we're neighbors and and I mean we're friends. And um and I didn't understand this whole uh, you know, kind of a like attacks on him. I think he was maybe paying a price for some of the troubles at the RNC and of course with McConnell in the Senate, and he was taking the blame for that. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that if you want to be in leadership specifically it's a lot of it's it's a lot of work and it's different work it's different work than what i wanted to do when i was in congress i was you know a lot like say a, a jim jordan you know i was into inve investigating i was into policy issues um i wanted to I, I enjoyed that type of work i enjoyed legislating um i did a lot of the po political side but i didn't i liked it but it wasn't something that i wanted to spend all my time on right and in order for for you to be successful in Washington, you have to have all those types of people. And the people that are in leadership, they've got to be out on the road all the time. They have to be recruiting candidates all the time. They have to be you know, settling differences within the party all the time. It's not a place that you get to go and sit down and you know, 
a think tank or run an investigation, you got to like almost, you know, I hate to use the term because it's overused, but you have to herd cats. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the Speaker of the House, which I've worked with all of them, I worked with, you know, all of them in the last 20 years I've worked with. And I think Kevin, of all of them, the good thing about the best part about him is, is that he is, he knows the districts, he knows the people, he knows politics, he knows how to win races. And that's what you need, because at the end of the day, if you, as we almost found out, if you don't have 218 votes, you don't have anything. Yeah. And to have somebody that is, that is, that knows that side really well and is willing to go do it, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's phenomenal. And he's not a guy that's, he's not an ideologue, right? He's not a guy that has, you know, his own, because a lot of members of Congress, you know, they go there for specific issues and which is good. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, but I would say, you know, Kevin's, you know, Kevin's idea of or the speaker, you know, his idea of, of success is making sure you have 218 Republicans so you can advance a conservative agenda. And he's not a guy, he, he doesn't say, oh, here's my conservative agenda idea. He says, look, it's you guys, it's the body. What do you guys think? And he didn't get credit for it, but because I spent a lot of time, there was a lot of work that went into the commitment for America. So, and that was all done by the members. It wasn't Kevin McCarthy saying, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. He said, look, you guys are the team, come up with the issues and we'll go campaign on them. A lot of people say, oh, he didn't have an agenda. That was all a lie. Right. So, you know, the fake news does what they want to do. They want to see fighting, in, you know, internally. Uh, but look, I, I think he's, you know, from the from the guys I've worked with, I think he's best situated to do a pretty damn good job. And and, and look, and it's not going to be easy because there's only 222 of them. Right. No, we're optimistic. We we, we think that uh, after the process kind of played out and where everybody's at now, we've, we're starting to talk to congressmen again on the show who are up on Capitol Hill, some for the first time, and... Uh, we really are uh, hoping that they can take that, you know, good conservative agenda and start to move it forward for the American people. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on real quick. I know you know your special counsels and you definitely know all roads lead back to Russiagate. Robert Hur appointed as special counsel for Joe Biden's classified document scandal, which is turning into a disaster yeah. now. What's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, look, I'd call him Ben Hur. OK, <laughs> I mean, this guy, he's very well known. Yeah. Um, he, he did everything he could to, to stop us from exposing the Russia hoax. So not only was he involved in, a you know, drafting a very public letter that was used as a narrative by the left to, to try to stop us from releasing the memo. If you may remember that, that we got accused of that was Russian agents that were, that were, you know, doing hashtag release the memo. I mean, it was all a big, it was all a big hoax. Well, the FBI played into that hoax. Well, we know we don't have all the specifics, but we know there was a lot of transactions. This guy was in the middle of drafting the letter where the FBI said, said point blank, you're going to really harm national security if you do this. Um, so right there, then and there, he's disqualified. And, you know, I just say, look, of, of all the people that work at DOJ, of all the people that used to work at DOJ, of all the people that have any experience whatsoever, you're talking tens and tens of thousands of Americans all over the country, of all the people you pick this guy. No, it's not by coincidence. It's the Department of Justice is completely and hopelessly corrupt. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, Jim Jordan, Kevin McCarthy, these guys, they've created this select committee 
Um, it's all we have standing between right now, us and total tyranny. I mean, because look, if the, if the Republicans wouldn't have gained control of Congress, you can bet that none of this would have ever come out. Nope. And if it did, it would have leaked out. And then they said, oh, it's Russian disinformation is what they would have said. They said, oh, this is just Russian disinformation. Oh, oh uh, classified document. Well, those were all declassified. You know, Obama declassified, whatever the hell they would have said. Yep. So they put, I mean, look, anybody who was involved, and I'll just close with this, anyone who was involved in the Russia hoax should be nowhere near the United States government for the rest of their lifetime. Okay, so you may not have got prosecuted. I mean, these guys should have been prosecuted. Okay, and Durham, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to do it, I'm sure, because Garland is blocking them. But you got away without being prosecuted. But what I've said, to, you know, publicly, and I'll just say it again on a show, I mean, one thing the Republicans, you know, need to do, they need to bring in these special counsels and look into their history because these are corrupt individuals without question. And, you know, why, you know, it's always the same people, all the same people that were all around Russia hoax, you know, or Trump haters that are the special, the two special counsels going on now. I, I just don't, I, I don't think so. It's not right. It's total bullshit. And hopefully they'll get to the bottom of it. Oh, we think so too. Like you said, all those tens of thousands of people and look, it's Jack Smith and, and Robert Hur heading up, you know, dual special counsels into the, the current and, and, and last president right before him. It's just way too I mean projection is always their key but you know it is, it is what it is and, and hopefully this Congress will really start to look into that weaponization of the DOJ and the FBI things like that and uh, expose these guys for, for you know the long game that they've been playing since Donald Trump basically came down the escalator Congressman we're going to live link uh, your website and your podcast uh, in the show description today where can we find you on True Social it's a really creative. It's just at Devin Nunes on, on True Social. But but thanks a lot, guys. And um, and look, I'd love to maybe I'll have you guys on my uh, on my podcast at some point. Anytime you want it, we will be there with you, sir. Nice. We, we, appreciate, right. we appreciate you taking the time out. And we'll be looking to uh, sit down with you again at some point in February. This is former congressman from California, current CEO of True Social, Mr. Devin Nunes. Congressman, thanks for coming on the show. You guys are the best. Thanks a lot. Take care. Uh, Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, just sent a letter to members of Congress. She said that the debt limit period, uh, sorry, the extraordinary debt limit measures will be enacted starting today and that they will continue through Monday, June 5th. So the officially the debt issuance suspension period is underway as of today, uh, January 19th. And uh, it looks to me like we've got June 5th to figure it out. And that sets up the showdown now mm. between Kevin McCarthy in the House, Mitch mm. McConnell in the Senate, and Joe Biden in the White House uh, in regards to what we're going to do with the debt ceiling, raising it, keeping it, defaulting on it. Shutting down the government. Defaulting on it doesn't sound good. Isn't that like defaulting on your credit? Well, yes. Defaulting on a loan. Aren't they just buying more time by uh, borrowing from like postal workers and fe federal employees, like their retirement funds and whatnot? Yep. It says the, uh, well, the Treasury Department will start using extraordinary measures, which started yesterday. Um, the debt is now at 120% of the GDP and equals, guess how, me, guess how much we owe a piece? Mm -hmm. $246,876 of debt per taxpayer. Perfect. 
And the figure of our national debt is greater than the economies of China, Japan, Germany, and England combined. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yeah, Congress now starts the battle as the economic clock begins a ticking. Um, I know we, we talked about this briefly the other day. We're, we're kind of leading into it now because it's going to be something that's going to be a portion of the debate moving forward through the rest of the winter and into the spring. But those extraordinary measures that Janet Yellen talked about, I do want to remind everybody this is her sixth go-around with the federal government. She will have six federal retirements when she steps down or is fired from her job at some point because – She's been awesome leading our economy into the toilet. Um, But that refers to the accounting workarounds to ensure that financial liquidity to keep the government open through June takes place. So now the government is going to temporarily suspend payments to retirement, disability, and health benefit funds for federal employees. Then it will suspend reinvestments of maturing government bonds in the retirement savings account of government workers. And this will affect nearly 25 million full-time and part-time federal employees, approximately 16% of the entire workforce of the United States, if the debt debacle is not resolved or defaults come June. So, just like everything else with the Biden regime, worst fucking scenario imaginable. Mm. And uh, there's nothing that could stop it other than getting to a solution uh, with our completely broken three branches of government right now. Um, one of the people who is going to be obviously at the forefront of this is the current Speaker of the House, California Representative Kevin McCarthy. I saw him on Fox Business yesterday talking about it, and uh, we're going to hear him right now. So what I really think we would do is treat this like we would treat our own household. If you had a child, you gave them a credit card, and they kept hitting the limit, you wouldn't just keep increasing it. You'd first see, what are you spending your money on? How can we cut items out? Every government has to do this. Every state has to balance their budget, county, city. For the White House to say they won't even look at it, that they can't find one penny out of a dollar of eliminating waste, I think they're just trying to put us into bankruptcy. What I am saying, and it's my conversation with the president on our first conversation, let's sit down together. Let's look at the places that we can change our behavior. But the fact of the matter is Joe Biden has publicly said, I don't know when that uh, conversation took place. I think that's the one where Joe Biden picked up the pen and said, listen here, Jack, you know what this does? Vetoes everything. Joe Biden's gone out publicly and said that he is not willing to negotiate the debt ceiling with House Republicans or Kevin McCarthy. So that's kind of where we're at. Is he going to bring in his ace in the hole scumbag Mitch McConnell to help broker a deal that doesn't service the American people, but only services lining the pockets of the federal government? Probably. But uh, listen, the, the small majority in the Republican House of Representatives, that caucus, they have the opportunity here to make a big stand. Um, you know, you see some of the senators that are fed up and, and are glad that the Republicans are offering up uh, solutions like Corey Mills alluded to earlier in the show regarding uh, getting a balanced budget by 2032. And uh, it all starts now. Um, I saw current House representative, newly announced senatorial candidate from the great state of Indiana, Representative Jim Banks. Uh, he was uh, on Brian Kilmeade's show, and he was talking about this too. You know, w- we've gotten so far away from being fiscally, I, I don't even want to say responsible, mm, Yeah, normal. Like, you know, we just keep indebting ourselves. Listen, regardless of what happens with the debt ceiling, places like Ukraine are still going to get their money. 
And we have to start focusing back on, on how bad it's damaging the country and our financial reputation around the world. Let's hear him. I think we owe it uh, to America to, to use the debt limit as a leverage point for a fight over fiscal responsibility and balancing the budget, cutting wasteful spending and sending us down the path to do that. So we have a we have a moral duty in the House. We've been given the majority. Now we have to use it. There will be squishy Republicans uh, who want us to just roll over and raise the debt limit and, and move on. This is yep. why I'm running for the Senate. This, it's no time for uh, squishy, weak Republicans anymore. We need we need fighters in the House and the Senate who are going to mm-hmm. push back and and use uh, use the, the abilities, the powers that we have as elected officials to restore this country, to, to, to uh, uh, send us down a path of fiscal responsibility. And we have a chance to do that with this debt limit. And he's right. You know, I was really disappointed throughout the midterm election season because we know how good of a House representative Jim Banks has been, that he wasn't being touted as someone that was going to lead committees, lead investigations, be in House leadership. And I keep seeing all of, you know, some of these retreads like Scalise and Stefanik and Emmers getting, you know, into these positions before the big speaker debate went down. And it just so happened that shortly after everyone was sworn in to their newest term as House representatives, he announced his candidate to run for senator in Indiana, which I think he's going to win. He's he's pretty beloved there and a really good America first congressman. So but 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 he does make a lot of points. You know, we, we keep talking about all of these optics that the Biden administration does in regards to the economy and jobs and all these numbers. They, they're just so full of shit. You know, Joe Biden was just at the podium right now. And if he didn't sound like absolute garbage, I would have played the clip. But he's like, obviously, our plans are working. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, they're not. I remember when we had EJ Antoni on the show two weeks ago, he said, without having to give any more evidence, one of the biggest tells that we are already in a recession and it's only going to get worse is when major corporations start doing mass layoffs. And just in the last two weeks, I saw Microsoft, Meta, and Amazon are all laying off between 10 and 50,000 employees immediately, which means, okay, those are major corporations. Must mean we're in a recession, not according to the Biden regime. But the fact of the matter is we are there. Uh, when you see the cost of everything in regards to inflation, gas prices, and, and energy costs are going back up again, as it's going to be a really cold and probably long winter this year. Um, a winter of death and what, what is it again? That uh, was a couple years ago. Oh, so shit. Sorry. This year. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, you know, we, we are definitely, and, and it's like probably EJ alluded to, this is going to be a recessionary period where we'll see some strength and growth, and it's like, that's outside of the pothole, and then shit hits the fan, and we're back into the pothole. But these massive layoffs at major corporations is a very big tell after, you know, the two consecutive, now three consecutive quarters of negative GDP that we are 100% in a recession. Are they still arguing that we're not? Oh, you know, they're doing their <laughs> stuff. We're, we're, like, close to a depression. Yeah, well, that's what it's going to be eventually. It, it, it all depends on how fast the Republican House could get to work to pump in the brakes on some of the, you know, uh, policies of the Biden administration. Are they going to try and repeal parts of the Inflation Non-Reduction Act, et cetera? I mean, you have other countries saying that the Inflation Reduction Act is hurting their economies. Yeah. Uh, so it gets to a point to where, okay, now it's doing like a global fuck, not just the, the usual screw over the hardworking blue-collar middle-class families here. In the yeah, United everybody's States. like, it's fine if you shit in your yard, but now like the smell is starting to get to me. It certainly is. Uh, Speaking of spells, no, not really. Rep. Chris Stewart was on uh, (laughs) 
defaced the nation this Sunday talking about the debt ceiling and the possibility of government shutdowns, et cetera. Let's hear him. Can you guarantee that Republicans will work with Democrats to make sure we don't trigger an economic crisis? Well, we certainly want to work with them, and we hope that they'll work with us, and the president will work with us. Look, I'm not a fan of government shutdowns. I honestly don't know anyone who is. It doesn't help. No, on the other you? hand, I do want to make this point. It's so important. Eh. Look, the reason that we're dealing with inflation that we are, which has been generational, and it's worth remembering, it hurts the poorest among us. The mm-hmm. working poor are those who are most impacted by inflation. And the primary cause, in fact, I would argue almost the single cause is government spending and government debt. Well, it's, it's a we pile of issues. De- it's a pile of issues that we've covered in depth on, on this program. But on this issue dealing with your work in Congress, can you avert having uh, the credit credit worthiness in the United States called into question if, you know, by actually coming to an agreement um, to to deal with this issue before um, we get to a position of talking about a government shutdown? Yeah, well, I, I think that we can and we should. But but to finish my other point, because it's actually relevant to your question about inflation because government spending, if that's true and it is true, then you have to understand there will be Republicans who will say, we need to reform. Mm-hmm. We need to use this as a vehicle to try to put to some limits on our spending and our debt and our deficits. And I am one of them, and there are many others who will be. So the question that you've asked now is, are those two principles, you know, the fact we need to reform and cut our deficits and our spending, can we yeah. reconcile that with at the same time we don't want to harm the credit of the United States government? That's our goal. I think Republicans are aligned on that. I hope the president okay. is as well. And hopefully we get to agreement on that. I kind of hope so, too. You know, because uh, we joke about it a lot. I'd like to see the government shut down in some aspects. I mean, I think over the course of the last two years, what's gone down on the U.S. southern border. Listen, when Donald Trump was president, the government was shut down for what was going on on the U.S. southern border for a whole lot less, twice. It doesn't even need to get shut down. It just needs to have people do what's logical to make the country strong and not weaken it further. But they like it weak. We just covered Davos in our first news. I know, but, I mean, in a perfect world. But you're you're drinking the eggs. So, (laughs) and and that's something we're going to be getting into a little bit more as we're getting ready to segue here and... uh, Bring in one of our favorite guests. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per 2 ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra 5 bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. Joining us next on the show, he's the number one best-selling author. His book, The Eggs Benedict Option, tearing up the charts, still one of my favorites, one of our favorites to host here on Steak for Breakfast, the Raw Egg Nationalist. Ren, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? What's news on your end? Uh, oh God, I'm I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I don't know. Uh, I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, just uh, just released the latest issue of Man's World magazine, which is my um, non cringe version of Playboy. I suppose that's the best way to think about it. I like it. And uh, there's the Man's World Annual 2022, which is like a like a classic Playboy annual that's just been released via Antelope Hill Publishing. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm just busy writing articles for the National Pulse now. 
for Raheem Kassam, which is cool. Awesome. Raheem Kassam's one of our great friends on the show and uh, a frequent guest. Kind of our boss. We'll just leave it at that. So with Davos going on this week, I saw you had put ahead a, a new editorial out on the na- National Pulse. It seems like the global elites and friends are up to it again. The corporates have begun geoengineering the climate with basically no one's consent. Imagine that. Do you want no. to elaborate on what the uh, basis was for this article and uh, kind of lead our audience into what exactly is going on in our atmosphere right now? Yeah, this is quite a worrying development, really. I it, it, it came out just before Christmas, actually. It didn't really get a huge amount of coverage. I was quite surprised given the given the potential implications of, of this story. I, I thought it would get much more traction, but it didn't. There was a story in the MIT, I think the MIT Technology Review about it. Anyway, this startup um, called Make Sunsets huh. ad- admitted just before Christmas that they had had a test launch of helium balloons containing sulfur dioxide, um, which they were, which was a test run basically for geoengineering, trying to mitigate the effects of global warming. Uh, they did it in April, 2022 in Baja, California, Mexico. So not in the United States. And, um, uh, yeah, this is, this isn't actually the first time that this kind of thing has happened, but it's, but it's a new, it's a new technology that they're using helium balloons filled with sulfur dioxide. Um, they release the balloons and then at a certain temperature, the balloons will uh, at a certain height and a certain temperature, the balloons will burst and release the sulfur dioxide, which is, uh, which is, uh, some kind of, you know, has some kind of cooling effect, or at least they think it will have some kind of cooling effect. So they've got nobody's permission to do this. They haven't asked anybody to do this. Um, they're working outside uh, national and international law uh, doing this, but they're, to- they're totally unrepentant. Um, the CEO of this startup, a chap called Luke Eisman, uh, said, I quote, it's morally wrong, in my opinion, for us not to be doing this. It's important to do this as quickly and as safely as we can. Um, and that he plans basically to release as much sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere as he possibly can. So... You know, I mean, they've 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 got nobody's nobody's uh, consent to do this. They're just cracking on. And and the thing is, although geoengineering is much touted, and you'll you'll you know you'll see a lot about geoengineering on the World Economic Forum website, for yep. instance, and national governments have been talking about it probably for about a decade at least, including the U.S. government. Then nobody, uh, no government has actually, uh, or no government institution has actually tried this outside a laboratory. Uh, so this is a this is a very dangerous, a very dangerous development. Not only because it's the first time that it's really, or one of the first times that it's actually happened out in the wild, but because it's not even involving government actors. This is a this is a tech startup. This is, you know, this is this is some Silicon Valley idiot <laughs> um, taking it upon himself to to try to alter the try to alter the global climate. So it's it's sulfur dioxide that they're throwing up in balloons. Yes, which is yeah. a what is it's a it's a product that's used in the creation of sulfuric acid. Yes, I think so. So yeah. not so not yeah. a super healthy thing to have floating around, probably. No, but of but of course it uh, for whatever reason then they think it will um it will either it it will either have some kind of um uh 
you know chemical effect there'll be some kind of chemical reaction or or it will or it will um you know absorb i think it's to absorb solar radiation i think that's what mm. they want it to do um but yeah i mean i yeah i mean who who, know, who knows the actual effect that this will have i mean we we we're, we're doing this they're doing this in the wild um uh and and there's no precedent for it yeah it seems like somebody might want to you know vote on this maybe well that's that's the one thing i want to circle back to you you said this is a this is a southern california silicon valley tech startup company they're doing it in baja california which is part of the country of mexico and it's without anyone's consent yeah yep that's it do you think the government well they mexico has their own problems to deal with <laughs> it's like the migrant corridor in addition to being the drug capital of the world. So I can only assume that they have uh, Oh, look, a balloon. Is it one of ours? Yeah. No. All right. It's good. <laughs> so, but no, I, I, this is, this is highly alarming. And, and now when you talk about geoengineering, this is like science's way of trying to change the natural course of the climate on the planet. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So that's, so that's, um, yeah, and and it's been touted. It's been touted for a decade at least, and government government institutions in the U.S., in the U.K., and elsewhere have been doing preliminary research. But all of them, including the U.S. government, have issued warnings about the about the very very early nature of the technology that they absolutely can't that they absolutely shouldn't be doing any kind of any kind of experiments in the wild that have have the potential to alter the climate on a on a you know global scale or even a even a kind of local scale because they all tout what the benefits could be but do you want to let our listenership know what you think some of the consequences might be if we continue to mess with mother nature right now on a small scale but if this kind of gains traction and becomes larger well i mean i'm not a scientist so i can't i can't tell you exactly what i think would happen but i think we can all understand the law of unintended consequences um you know we are we are meddling with forces beyond our full comprehension and we're doing it in a, an incredibly cavalier way um so i mean who, who knows i mean it could have the potential to make the planet hotter it could have the p potential to to make the planet considerably colder or it could just pollute produce a huge amount of pollution it could um i mean the thing is here's an interesting thing so in 2012 an american entrepreneur called russ george i talk about this in the the national pulse article decided he took it upon himself to release a hundred tons of uh was it uh, iron sulfate i think yeah mm. iron sulfate mm. into the uh pacific ocean off vancouver because he was convinced that it would um, suck up a lot of carbon because it would produce a huge algal bloom in the sea and that that would also uh, benefit the the uh, the sea life because it would produce um, you know food at the lowest uh, level of the food chain and then that would obviously you know have ramifications all the way up the food chain that would increase the salmon stock for instance and he just um, you know he just he just did that totally of his own totally of his own accord without asking anybody and although he was investigated then it was decided that actually he hadn't broken international law so that's 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 the real precedent for this there actually isn't any kind of international mechanism for dealing with this at the moment uh and there needs to be one as far as i'm concerned yeah yeah i think we could all agree on that and it's one of those things you get to a certain point to where you keep poking and at some point like 
basically with everything humans do, we're going to break it and then blame everybody else except the people responsible and then say that we can't fix it. So now we have to change our entire standard of living, which is where I could see this going. This was a really great article you, you wrote, Ren, but I do want to talk to you about a couple other things while we've got you on the line. What are some of the things we're looking for and uh, for people who are interested in, in getting the uh, newest edition of Man's World? Uh, so uh, you can go to my Twitter. You can go to my Twitter, which is uh, Baby Gravy Nine. Uh, <laughs> probably Twitter's most unfortunate handle. Um, I like uh, it. You can, you, can, <laughs> you can go to uh, rawegnationalist.com. Uh, and that has links to uh, all of my work, all of my uh, media appearances and Man's World. And then Man's World actually now has a has its own website, mansworldmag.org. So you can go there too. We're going to live link all those in the show description today. Last thing I want to touch with you on, how was it being part of that Tucker Carlson documentary uh, on restoring manliness to the world? Because I'll tell you what, I like hearing you in my headphones. It was pretty awesome to hear you on my television. Yeah, I, I, I'm still processing it, to be honest, to be honest with you. It was mad, absolutely mad. Uh, Tucker really, you know, I mean, he's, he's been on fire recently. I mean, I, I watched some great clips, uh, this morning, actually on Twitter, some things that he'd been saying, um, he's, he's, he's very brave, I think. And he, he was, he was brave to, uh, to put that documentary out because it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real issue and it doesn't, it doesn't get much, much coverage at all. I mean, I, I do my part to, uh, to publicize it as much as I can on Twitter and in, and in, um, you know, the things that I write, but actually for Tucker to give us a Tucker to give us a platform is, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a opportunity really of, doesn't, doesn't come around every day. And, um, it's definitely pushed me to a new level of, um, internet celebrity and, uh, hopefully it will encourage people to take control of their lives and to, and to press for, to press for political and environmental reform. No, you know what? When you look at the some of the, I mean, some call them highlights, but they're pretty much the lowlights from Davos over the course of this week. They have all the normal stuff, vaccines and police states, but they're talking about replacing food with completely plant-based options, dialing you into virtual reality whatever, forever, which is like, okay, we're not going to be able to get them to live in the pod, but we could get them to live in the Oculus, and it'll be just as bad. We're going to make them fatter, lazier, unhealthier, and just all the other stuff. You know, it's 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 such a unfortunate turn that our world has taken in regards to, you know, a larger depopulation agenda and, and basically trying to break the way the human race was supposed to be so they could be more subservient to literally the overlords who are trying to take over the planet. And you have been a huge roadblock uh, in the way of that, a thorn in their side. And we are very appreciative for not only our relationship with you, but the fact that you take time out of your busy schedule because you are a celebrity now to come and join us on the show and uh, give a little bit of commentary. I do have to say side note before we cut with you here. Noah's been drinking the raw eggs. I have. Yeah. Amazing. I'm so, I'm so proud of you now. It's usually uh, what I have right before work. It's, it's fast. It's easy. It's a little hard to get used to, but it's not bad. And I, I'll admit there, there are a couple other factors involved, but Ren, I'll be honest with you. Noah's glowing. He's glowing. I can see. I can see from here. <laughs> His manliness is back, and, and it's thanks to you. We're going to live link your handles, uh, the magazine, the book, everything in the show description today. We'll live link your website, and we'll be looking to circle back with you soon. Keep doing the Lord's work, friend, and uh, we thank you for taking time with us. This is the one and only Raw Ignatius. Thank you for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. You too. A pleasure. All right, coming in next on the show today, joining us for the first time, 
He is the president of the Bull Moose Project and Bull Moose Victory. Aiden Bazzetti, thank you for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Yeah, thank you all for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you? We're fresh out of a midterm election here, a couple months out, and uh, we're kind of reworking everything for 2023 and then the big one in 24. I'm, I'm sure you guys are uh, moving into a lot of recruiting and planning on your end. How's everything going? It's going well. Uh, you know, one one thing that I, I kind of picked up on, especially after the midterm elections, is we really need to refocus on the more local elections. Um, and a lot of Republicans just have not been good at that. And even other generally conservative movements haven't really been good at going on the ground and finding people. Um, it's probably one of the biggest deficits the Republican Party as an institution has. Um, that's something where where we're, we're looking for uh, going into 2024 to close the gap a little bit. Now, with the Bull Moose Project, you guys' main focus is on on developing and you know, getting big recruiting in for like a more hands-on generation of young Republican, just everything from politicians all the way down to grassroots level activism. So what are some mm -hmm. of the things that you guys are working on right now to make sure that we're going to have some major victories come 2024? I would say our, our biggest project right now is our inaugural leadership summit, uh, which we are hosting in April here in, in DC to start with. Um, and, and we've got a, a good group of about 40 people uh, ages 18 and you know, up to their 40s that are looking at running for office or, or getting involved in their community um, on an activist level. Um, and we're going to try and get them those, those skills that they really need to learn to be effective on those levels. And we're hoping that after this inaugural summit, we'll be able to take this model and really go to localities, go to different areas of the United States, bring people in and, and get them set up to do the same thing. Now, when you talk about this summit, you're going to be having like speakers there and basically kind of get everybody on the same page with regards to like messaging going into 2024. Yeah, we we're covering a, a couple topics, you know, some some policy stuff. We've got people like uh, Mark Krikorian uh, from Center for Immigration Studies and, and John Schweppe from the American Principles Project to talk about stuff like immigration or uh, big tech legislation on the state and local levels. We're also covering basic skills uh, from people that we know and trust that have worked on campaigns before that can go in front of these uh, these attendees and say, hey, if you want to run, you really need to know how to develop a grassroots outreach program. You really need to know how to raise money in the first place. Um, you need to know how to find people to trust on your campaign as well. So we, we want to give people the, the basic toolkit to be successful, a little bit of knowledge on the policy side, um, but really just making sure that when they do become a candidate, they're prepared for it. Uh, it sounds like it's uh, right where it needs to be there. Now, the Dem voting machine, that, that's a nationwide entity, you know, it, it's one of the things that over the past 10 years or so, Republicans have not been able to catch up on in, in a lot of ways. Uh, you could talk about front burner issues that get people out to the polls that normally wouldn't vote in elections. Obviously, a lot of people, you know, will refer to Dobbs in the midterms. Uh, but you also have things like, you know, ballot harvesting where it's legal and, and early vote mail-in 
you know, stuff like that. So how are we as Republicans looking to move forward? Because we've already got the day of vote thing kind of nailed down. But when you talk about, you know, building kind of like a nationwide network, it's got to be something that's ran 24-7-365. And that's what a lot of people who have, you know, come into our show say that we've been lacking in. Is this kind of like what you guys are trying to prepare people to do moving forward is like, when it's time to campaign, that's like when you should already be ready to hit the trail, but there's so much work that goes into building up before that you need to be ready a year or years in advance. Yeah. So, so I think it's a a pretty common opinion now that Republicans really dropped the ball uh, regarding ballot harvesting in states where it's legal um, absentee ballots. uh, Because a lot of, a lot of times now in, in many states, it's, the election day is really two months before election day. Yeah. Uh, so people have to be prepared for that. Um, and, and, and in some cases it really is up to the candidates to be prepared to carry that out. Um, there, there's a role for the institutions uh, for, of the Republican party and, and other affiliated groups to pick up on that as well. Um, they definitely need to work on that, but it, the candidates need to understand the the laws of their localities and their States and put that into action. Um, and as far as preparing to campaign goes, yes, there are many cases, especially for federal offices, um, but also for state um, offices and some local offices where people will be planning their campaigns years in advance. Um, it does seem a little disingenuous or a little ingenuine to be planning to run for office for so long. In some cases, it is necessary. Um, oftentimes before people announce a campaign, they've already squared away a campaign plan. They have a certain amount of money that they could collect in the first week. Um, they know they have their schedule of when, when do absentee ballots go out? When does early voting start? All of that stuff needs to be prepared before you're actually a candidate. Uh, cause when you are a candidate, that is when you need to hit the ground. Exactly. Like you said. What are some of the things that you would encourage our listenership, especially a lot of the young listeners who want to get involved with the Bull Moose Project, are looking to maybe, if they can attend the summit, find out more information on on regional things that you guys are working on, or how to just get in contact with you? Yeah, so the first step I would say, go to our website, bullmooseproject.org. We'll be putting up events there. I'm happy to talk to people one-on-one. They can reach out to me over email, Aiden at bullmooseproject.org. We are building lists of interested people from all across the country to go to these states and and make sure we reach out to them. Uh, we for our upcoming summit, we're already packed. We're one hundred percent full. Uh, we we got over seventy applications for our, our first event with a capacity of maybe half that. Um, and I would say if you want to get involved with us, we we do do a little bit of volunteer work, but I would encourage people to get involved in their immediate local groups that's joining the Republican party because most Republican parties don't have enough precinct officers. And it's the precinct officers that do the work of registering voters and and reaching out to people. I would also get involved with local college groups. If you're in college or if you're a parent, get involved in parent groups and go to school board meetings. There are a lot of little things that you can do that make a huge difference, especially where you live. Uh, it's, those are some great points there, and and we are definitely starting to see a little bit of the chip away, at, out of all out of all the stuff that we've been, uh, you know, up against for the last couple of years. But uh, it's really encouraging to see young people like yourself 
a lot of other the young ones on the show, like Jake Denton and, and, and people at the Heritage Foundation that come on and, and, and share with us how you guys are making and taking those steps to uh, get the Republican Party back on track. I think we, we're starting to lay the groundwork up on Capitol Hill, but there's a lot of grassroots level stuff that we really need to work on um, before we hit 2024. Aiden, we're going to yep. live link you in the show description today, and we'll be looking to have you back at some point before the summit to kind of get a preview. And uh, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to join us on the show. Yeah, that would be perfect. Thank you for inviting me. This is the president of the Bull Moose Project, Aiden Bazzetti. Thank you for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. If you're a normal person, it's a pretty weird experience watching Joe Biden's presidency get euthanized by his own party. On one hand, there's an undeniable thrill to it. You have to admit that. Biden is the most destructive president in American history. More things have broken under his watch than under any other president. Joe Biden deserves to be driven from office and disgraced. But for this, breaking federal classification rules, some of the stupidest and most dishonest laws Congress has ever passed. It's like arresting El Chapo for expired plates. It's missing the point. But it looks like that's what's going to happen. It seems like every day one of Biden's lawyers shows up with more sheaves of classified documents, <laughs> like a dog who's found another dead chipmunk under the house. This bunch was in his office at Penn, the one paid for by the Communist Party of China. These were found next to his sad little midlife crisis sports car in a garage in Delaware Oof, and so on. You keep waiting for the White House physician to announce another document trove has been discovered after a routine colonoscopy. It could happen. Because at this point, you know exactly where this story is heading. Permanent Washington does not want Joe Biden to run for president again. This is how they're sending that message. Even CNN has decided to become interested in Joe Biden's misdeeds two years into his presidency. Weird. They're doing segments on how classification laws protect this country from its mortal enemies like Russia. So you know for certain the order has gone out. Biden is done. What a missed opportunity this is. If you're looking for crimes that Joe Biden has committed, there is a very long list. Our country is being invaded. The world is on the brink of nuclear war. American cities have become slums. Our economy is in shambles. Even our airplanes no longer take off on time. It's a disaster, and Joe Biden and his staff have a hand in all of it. In a country with a functioning government, Joe Biden would have been impeached before the first million illegal aliens crossed over our southern border. But no one did anything to stop it. So now they're arriving at the rate of a quarter million a month. He does make some excellent points there. And Qu quarter million a month sounds bad. Yeah. Jeez. But those are the numbers. Yeah, it's 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 almost inconceivable. Yeah. Unbelievable. It is a situation to say the least. Well, we were we were definitely first on knives out for Joe Biden. It, it as much as we wanted to dunk on it, there was definitely some higher powers at work here in the production and now, I don't know, multi-million dollar, billion dollar summer blockbuster movie that's turned into his document scandal and, and how much this has been downplayed by his own staff. Well, while, it is telling how, you know, the mainstream media is now picking it up and that is literally just the cue card for, well, he's, he's going to get fucking his PB slapped over this, basically. Hmm, PB slappage. I like it. <laughs> Haven't heard that one in a while. It's been about 30 years. <laughs> one thing Tucker did mention that I think parlays great into our next audio clip here is is a piece from a recent podcast on the Jenna Ellis show where Raheem was a guest. 
Raheem Gassam, the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse. He talked about his staff and handlers and, and kind of what's going on there. You know, we know some of the overt ones, the Clains and the Susan Rices, people like that. But where is his go-to guy? Where is where is his man behind the scenes who's making everyone in the White House staff's lives hell, which we've seen in the White House for forever, and uh, even with President Trump. Before I could you know allude to any more, I'm going to let Raheem take it away. Let's listen to this clip. When Obama was elected, um, um, Jim Messner and David Axelrod did a worldwide tour as the geniuses who got Obama elected. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, when Trump was elected, um, you know, the whole media race to, to hand the, uh, you know, congratulatory as much as they would like to congratulate uh, that side, uh, parts of, of the campaign to Steve Bannon, right? Why? Who ran Joe Biden's campaign? Who's that person? Who's the mastermind? Most votes ever in American history. Who's the mastermind? Can you name that person? You can't. Do you see them giving TED Talks? You don't. Because it was the apparatus that that Biden allowed himself to be used by and and, and not an actual, you know, vote-winning strategy, electoral strategy that actually convinced a record number of Americans to go out and vote for Joe Biden. That's the tell, right? In, in, in amongst all the other tells that we know from the last election. And so Biden himself will probably be quite aware of the fact that, again, he is being used here to stop Donald Trump. I mean, who is his go-to guy? Who's his Bannon? Who's his Axelrod? Did you give old B a ding just for being old B? Yeah. <laughs> I, get, I gave Papa Bannon a ding for hiring. Just Norbert, for being there. Hiring Norman Laden as an international correspondent just because she lives literally right next door to Davos. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Steve, you're better than that. And we're better than this right now, talking about this narrative. Uh, but, you know, those are the facts. It seems like everybody's kind of keeping quiet. Because most votes in the history of the galaxy is now in a shit ton of trouble. And this ain't going away. Um, I I do think they're going to probably do the whole two-tier justice system in regards to outcomes when when looking at the special counsels that are assigned to both Joe Biden and Donald Trump. But I do think that this is a preventative measure in a lot of senses to prevent him from running for office again in 2024. Um, Will he be able to survive it? I guess it depends on how much pushback Joe Biden and what's left of his inner circle pushes back on, you know, he's the president, so he should have the right to run again. But the fact of the matter is we'll we'll probably see two totally different outcomes from this special counsel and the one that's assigned to Joe Biden. It's going to be like uh, a remake of, of uh, what's the the movie? (laughs) Oh, Castaway with Mm. Tom Hanks, except it's just going to be Joe Biden dragging Jean Pierre's head around with him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think we found our John! For, for the end of the show now. <laughs> Excellent work. But uh we'll probably see Donald Trump's special counsel come to a verdict shortly after he secures the Republican nomination for president, where we'll see Joe Biden conclude sometime around November 9th, 2024, the day after election day. Mm. Right. So believe it or not, he's been he's been cranking out the policy speeches. 
Uh, I know Noah doesn't like the selective editing for him, but but Papa T has been laying him down. He talked about the two-tier justice system in this country. Let's hear 45 weigh in on the Biden scandal. We have two standards of justice in our country, one for people like you and me, and one for the corrupt political class, of which there are many. At the very same moment when my ultra-secure Mar-a-Lago home was raided by the (laughs) FBI, Joe Biden was harboring classified documents in his China-funded Penn Center and his unsecured garage. Right on the floor, piles of paper. The floor was probably very wet and damp, as many garages are. How could you not love him? While I'm being persecuted by Trump-hating special counsel, I call them special prosecutors, but this one in particular is a prosecutor and a Trump-deranged person. (laughs) They prosecute all sorts of things. He prosecuted war crimes and war criminals. Joe Biden, in the meantime, is being given white glove treatment by a establishment hack who tried to cover up the Russia hoax. He actually tried to cover it up. It's a travesty. Biden lied to the American people and weaponized the Justice Department, or as I call it, the Injustice Department, (laughs) to go after me for the very crime he actually committed. And he wasn't president, so he didn't have the right to declassify, as I did. The difference is that while I did everything right, I did nothing wrong. Biden did everything wrong. The boxes hoax should be dropped immediately Mm, against President Trump. When I return to the White House, we will end the era of partisan witch hunts, restore equal justice under the law, and get back to government that delivers for the American people. And I mean securing our borders, creating millions and millions of jobs just like before, growing wages, stopping violent crime, and making our country great again. That's what we want to do. Make America great again. Thank you. You know, I'll be the first to say it. I can't wait for the rally season to start again. All right. I know he's got something planned coming up with his delegation that's getting squared away down there in South Carolina coming up here soon. But just right there, reading off teleprompter and making up stuff (laughs) as he's going along, I miss it a lot. And uh, but he's he's honest and truthful about it. He he lays out the facts and and you know. Joe Biden's in, in in a little bit of a pickle right now, and uh, I don't know if he's going to recover from this. I, I I've seen it before with, with the deep state and the administrative state and the way the swamp works, but they've even, and it's weird, rolled him out yesterday with California Governor Gavin Newsom to survey storm damage, as the sitting president sits with now the presumptive nominee for when he's disgracefully exiting politics. Storm of migrants. That too. Well, Gavin Newsom told him that we California can't afford it anymore. It's like, wait, what? Really? We invented sanctuary, everything. Yeah. You guys put it on a t-shirt, didn't you? Sure did. Those same t-shirts now the homeless people in San Francisco wipe their asses with after they shit in front of stores. And, and then get, put them back on. And, <laughs> that too. <laughs> um, Joe Biden wanted to talk storm damage. The press wasn't having it. And he got grouchy, as you can only imagine. Let's hear uh, Basements. You know, more than I could take time to talk about today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, the only, I, I will answer the question, but here's the deal. You know, what quite frankly bugs me is that we have a serious problem here we're talking about. 
We're talking about what's going on, and the American people don't quite understand why you don't ask me questions about that. But having said that, what's your question? Hang on, okay? Look, as we found, uh, we found a handful of documents were failed uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives of the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. And say. Exactly what we're doing. There's no there there. Thank you. So no regrets. There there. Oh, oh. Her question was, because the audio was real bad, it was outside down on the beachfront. Do. do you regret the document scandal not being broke when they were supposedly found six days before the midterm election? Mm. I don't know if you guys heard it. Joe Biden has been coached now to selectively pass that on to the justice. Oh, we gave it. We, we cooperated with NARA and the DOJ gave everything back, told them what we found. And it's they, they are the ones that didn't be. No, I mean, it shouldn't be my job if I did what I was supposed to do when you weren't doing what you were supposed to do in the first place. So, That's the kind of narrative he's using in defense uh, as far as the story coming out. And and as we've already talked about, and it's been commentated on, um, throughout a couple clips that we've played over the course of the last two weeks, you see some of the alternative press. I don't even want to call them legacy media. Our good friends over at CNN. Did you guys hear they're closing their main office in in Atlanta, Georgia? Really? Why? It's kind of hard to keep the lights on when when 100,000 people a day are watching you. The most trusted name in fake news. Oh, my gosh. But they're actually starting to flip the script and say, we don't want to cover this guy anymore. We would much rather have someone like a Gavin Newsom who can actually speak and doesn't need his diaper changed on a frequent basis or to be drugged beyond belief just to go out and be able to unsuccessfully read off a teleprompter for 30 seconds before he kneels before the last year's NBA champions at the white house. Yeah. And can't remember Antoinette. I did my own research and fact checked myself. Martin Luther King, the third's widow, uh, at the gala on Monday. So let's, let's hear fake news. CNN break down just how mad they are. Joe Biden for being a bad boy. A CNN review of the laptop data, as well as other public material, shows that Joe Biden did interact with some of his son's associates while serving as vice president, though it's unclear exactly what was discussed. One example, the Republican site, Miguel Aleman Magnani, a Mexican businessman and son of the former president who Hunter was trying to woo. In 2014, Aleman Magnani and his dad were photographed at the White House with then-Vice President Biden. In a later email, Hunter Biden reminds Alemani Magnani of the favors he's done for him. Alemani We've been McNani. talking about business deals and partnerships for seven years. I have brought every single person you have ever asked me to bring to the effing White House and Oof. the vice president's house and the inauguration. Oof. Hunter Biden bluntly acknowledged the power of the Biden name in a memoir, writing that the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, which put him on its board, considered my last name gold. I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. So, so remember, there there are several, many audio clips of Joe Biden sending a stern rebuttal to anyone that's ever asked him about Hunter Biden's business dealings and said, I've 
And I'm quoting now, I've never asked my son about his personal business dealings. Now CNN's doing an expose on how at least 14 people who have been involved in numerous business dealings with Hunter Biden not only have been to the White House when Joe Biden was the vice president and his private residence in Delaware, but now they're saying that they're not getting there enough. And they're like sending nasty emails saying like, what the F else do I need to do to get some FaceTime with Mr. 10% for the big guy? <laughs> you can't make this shit up. It's, it's, it's amazing. Unbelievable, really. He is the embodiment of, of Leslie Nielsen. Nothing to see here now. Seriously. It, it is. I mean, we, we got a pinata farms, Joe Biden on that bad boy. Um, I got to talk to some of our meme makers, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's there. And they're making you think like there's other stuff going, Oh, look, there's some bad winter storms. Some planes didn't take off and homeless people everywhere. They even tried to do an active shooter at Walmart cops neutralized him pretty fast yesterday. I believe it was in Georgia. Um, but this is the story that is dominating everything. Joe Biden's document scandal has taken over the Davos narrative, which all of the liberal media outlets love to run with because all they want to do is punish us for not believing the lies they make up. And they can't even get ahead of this narrative because so much shit is coming out on it now. Congressman Matt Gates sat down with the Botox queen, Laura Ingram, last night on her show to talk about it and uh, provided some insight. Let's hear it. That any decision from Biden is not going to come until after he delivers the State of the Union. So what do you ultimately expect that decision Talking to be Talking about now? a formal president announcement. Well, things in Washington aren't always what they seem. Consider this. It was Joe Biden's Democrat personal lawyer that was rummaging around his stuff looking for what? Evidence of a crime that his septuagenarian client committed nine years ago. And then he alerts the Democrat staff at the White House that does the absolute worst thing you could possibly do. They sat on the information. They should have diffused the Trump matter and then inoculated themselves in the process. Then the moment this is leaked to CBS, you have the Democrat Biden Department of Justice appoint a special counsel. And now the big tell is that even Joe Biden's strongest allies in the Congress, like Senator Coons, are saying that they approve of the appointment of a special counsel to criminally investigate the president. Maybe the deep state and a lot of these Democrats have figured out that they'd rather roll with Gavin Newsom than Joe Biden. The Republicans might not even have to help the Democrats take out their trash. <laughs> What do you guys think? Let's, let's straw poll. Very small. Uh, we have three registered voters here. I'm going to say Joe Biden can't survive this. No, he's done. You no, think so? You agree, Antoinette? He's finished. Oh yeah, totally done. It's it's the it's the padding of the top of the grave with a shovel yeah. before Newsom or some other horrible candidate jumps in. Doing that thing at the meme where they're like doing that, yeah, at the gravestone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's more than the final nail on the coffin, in my opinion. Now, here's something else not a lot of people are talking about. Is the reason that this got out of control legitimately because of Hunter Biden? I, I think it is. I think so too. I, I think Hunter Biden was paying for play not only with his father, but with classified materials from the Obama administration that were leading directly to business deals that he was tied to. And they literally, maybe if Joe Biden even tried to interject there and be like, nah, listen here, Jack, this, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. Like, do you want your 10% or not? Mm. I almost see that maybe Hunter 
kind of threw his dad under the bus and took a deal. That's the conspiracy part of me. I don't know. I, I just feel like it's all too conveniently happening. Well, we do know Congress is going to be investigating Hunter Biden independently of his father. In addition to all this bullshit, I, I believe that they're already looking to provide oversight over the special counsel and what they're going to be doing. And, uh, you know, the weaponization of the federal government and, and its agencies like the DOJ and the FBI are going to be under the microscope as well. And it's kind of like that two-headed narrative as we're getting ready to uh, wrap today on the show because some of the media uh, pundits out there are saying like, oh, the Republicans, you know, they did all this grandstanding in the House. Now they're just getting way ahead of themselves and in, in oversight and investigations like where is this stuff really going to go but at the same time you have pbs npr cbs and now cnn putting out exposés which are like poking new holes into the stuff that we already know okay we found documents in several places they weren't secure joe biden couldn't declassify them but now they're starting to tie it back to his family Mm -hmm. and we all know joe biden's brother's just as corrupt as he is and uh you know, moving forward and throughout the weekend, I'm going to be interested to see some of the commentary, also some of the stuff that's coming out on it, and uh, just where this goes. Because believe it or not, it's been like two weeks of a whirlwind shitstorm for Joe Biden. I think we're just getting started. And I'm not talking about what happened with the uh, storm damage in California. I'm talking about real life stuff. Yeah. The storm is pale in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I like Unless, it. of course, the storm knocked open a garage door sank a Corvette and floated documents down the river. Listen here, Jack, that's my midlife crisis. <laughs> no, but we will we will be keeping a keen eye on this and pretty much any of the other developments that happen throughout the course of the weekend. Way smoother than our Wednesday edition of the show, which doubled as our Tuesday edition of the show today on our Friday edition of the show. What do you think, Noah? What? <laughs> You're welcome. If you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and want to hear the now over 200 other episodes of our show, you can find us across every downloadable platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Podatta, Google Podcasts, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app. We're not going to be on Frank's Beach for much longer. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast. And we're off Frank's Beach. Content. Just like the big savings of my pill. We're not there yet. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests today. Who did we have on? Congressman representing Florida 7, Mr. Corey Mills. Former congressman and current CEO of True Social, Mr. Devin Nunes. The Raw Egg Nationalists and Aiden Bazzetti of the Bull Moose Foundation. Really appreciate everybody coming down and spending a little time with us, which means now they're spending time with you on Steak for Breakfast. Friends, don't forget to go out in this hardened economy and spend some of your earnings down at our partners because when that happens... You help make small American businesses great again, namely my pillow. If you enjoy sleep at night and coffee in the morning, Mike Lindell's got you covered. And a promo code stake at checkout, you're going to experience all the glorious savings they have down at my pillow. Mypillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, mystore.com forward slash stake. Or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1 800 658 8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's best damn headphones can only be found at odyssey if you record music you're in the studio trying to start a podcast you want to make an investment on the right equipment the best equipment odyssey.com it's the website you can find them on facebook and instagram as well my patriot cigar company you get a promo code stake here getting 15 percent off the order every order over 100 bucks free shipping 10 dollars e-gift card included with every purchase mypatriotcigars.com a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots 
and our newest partner, Farmer Bill's Jerky. You make a purchase here, and in a promo code STEAK, you're getting $5 off your total order. You order a 12-pack, it's free shipping. Farmer Bill's Jerky, go and check them out all over social media and the internet. What do we got? Upcoming shows? My favorite. We'll be back on Tuesday. Christina Bob's launching her book, and she'll be here to talk about it. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of election integrity with her. Former acting U.S. Attorney General Matt Whitaker is going to be here. We're going to get an update from apparently the War Room's international correspondent, Norman Laden, <laughs> on the conclusion of the World Economic Forum at Davos. And Boris Epstein will be here as well. We'll round out the week on Friday. Jake Denton of Heritage and his compadre, E.J. Antoni, also of Heritage. They'll be here. Congressman Kevin Kiley will be joining us. We'll talk special counsels with Alina Habba, and we're going to talk the U.S. southern border and where do we go from here with former acting ICE director Tom Homan. Max Miller and Eli Craner in on the 31st. Cash Patel and Mike Collins are here on February 3rd, and we just locked it in today. We're very excited to be having a good sit-down segment with John Solomon on the 10th of February. Friends of the Week. Let's see, got my list right here. True Social Twitch streamers. Beastie Man 420, Siberian Kitten. We love and appreciate all of your posts. Some call me Tim79 is always in there. So is 13 Gen Patriot and Thomas Bama. We got our friends from uh, other social media apparatuses. Johnny Maga, The Real Al Gorbachev, Midnight Mitch, Spoopy, Nightwing X, William S. and Ghost Hammer. And then we can't forget the meme team. John Hacker LA shared you today. Grand old memes. Amazing Trump Elon Musk collab shared you the other day as well. Edward Russell, Brightwing Savages, Let's Go Brenda, Who White Memes, and Namrock, Namrock, all included. I think I used Namrock, Namrock's meme in the newest Substack that's out today. Check it out. It's a Klaus Schwab delight. Mm. Thanks to remember, between now and Tuesday, as we get back to our regularly scheduled broadcast, number one, do your own research. I fact-checked myself after Antoinette fact-checked me on our Wednesday edition of the show and made it right today. No, what happened? With uh, Martin Luther King III's widow, Joe Biden fucked up her name. Oh. Happy birthday. Meh. Number two, start a podcast. Yep. Can't beat it today, right? Mm-hmm. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. I think we did a pretty good job of it. Not with the news we covered, but the commentary that we gave you. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 206 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back 207 on Tuesday. Miss Christina Bob, Matt Whitaker, Boris Epstein, and Norbin Laden. Also, programming note, one of the shows next week, I can almost guarantee it, Matt Gates will be here as well. Nice. On behalf of the pot team, I'm Ron Noah. Later. Antoinette. Almost. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and take care. Wilson! Wilson! Wilson!